Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, excited for our first episode of 2022. Now you might be hearing an episode, but technically this is the first one recorded in 2022. And I'm super excited to introduce you to today's guest. I am going to be speaking to Michael K. Sahoda, who is a speaker, trainer, and consultant on evolutionary leadership. He is the founder and CEO of Shift 314, a boutique training and consulting organization that specializes in organizational, cultural, and leadership shifts needed to unlock success with agile, digital, and lean. And his new book is called Leading Beyond Change. For those of you on video, I am holding it up now. Um, highly recommend it. I have to say for someone who also appreciates really good visuals. There are a lot of those in the book to explain concepts. And um, I think he's done a really good job of going into lots of different areas to explain things in the book. And I, and I know he's written it as well with his partner, um, Audrey. And I think that also gives a nice flair because you get to hear things from different perspectives. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So Michael, as a starting point, I always love to give my guests an opportunity to give kind of like a high level, um, you get to go wherever you want. So if you happen to take me back into childhood, you can, but tell me a little bit about your story and what got you to where you are doing the work you're doing in the world. Wow. Okay. So my original background is in engineering. Uh, I have a master's in computer science. I published papers in artificial intelligence. And um, so I was more designed for working with machines than working with human beings. And what happened, it's just very, 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 I mean, so how did I get to be doing leadership training and leadership consulting around the world, right? This is, it's kind of a weird story, really. And uh, at that time, I was looking at how do we get robots to work together in, in complex environments? That's what my artificial intelligence research was about. And it's actually almost the same thing today, except instead of dealing with robots, we're dealing with human beings. How do we get human beings to work together to create amazing outcomes? Now, how did I get here? Well, I started, uh, I switched out of academics into software development, sort of working in how do we actually get projects done? So I, you know, rapidly became, you know, project lead, technical lead, architect, held management roles, manager, software development, director, software development, uh, vice president, engineering. And so I know what it's like to get projects working. I know what it's like to shift organizations at a team level and organizationally to agile from the inside. So I started working as a trainer and consultant from the outside and I got stuck because I realized that agile is a beautiful new way of working. Uh, it's not going to work in most organizations that we actually need to get more powerful tooling. So I spent years diving into culture and leadership. And really with my, my partner, Audrey Tarasahota, we cracked the code on how do we unlock organizations? And we just published our new book, Leading Beyond Change, which is 
really helping give leaders the first installment of what is needed for a master's in business leadership to move away from these traditional ways of thinking to a very different human-centric way that's needed to unlock people. So that's kind of a, a you know a summary of my, my journey. And, and probably the, the biggest thing is I realized that I'm the problem. And I'm the solution. And, and that's where this whole notion of evolutionary leadership comes from is this choice to evolve myself. And uh, I'm not the person I was many, many years ago. I'm not the person I even I was last year at this time yeah. because I've made this choice to evolve. Yeah. And I'm glad you went there because I was going to take you there anyways, in terms of when you went to India. And I believe that's actually where you, you met your, your wife and, um, and it was so interesting and I, I love it. I love that you went on that journey because we can sometimes have, um, the, the linear and the understand things from one perspective, but then you're bringing in the level of consciousness. And to me, that combination is just incredibly powerful. Um, and you're, I, I really loved your humility in the book as well, that you're like, yeah, you know, I wasn't really, I had a lot to learn. I saw things and act a little bit differently back then. What were some of those profound lessons that came for you during that time in India? Um, well, I'll probably expand it a bit, but what are the, the profound insights that sort of were pivotal in my, my journey? One was reading uh, words that I actually read from Brene Brown's book, which is this, you can only be kind to others to the extent that you're kind to yourself. So when that ripped through me, it's like, well, wait a second. I got this little internal critic going on, you know, all the time. It was like, wait a second. That's how I am as a parent. That's how I am as a leader, how I am as a manager. Wow, I suck. <laughs> right. So, so most people, when they hear that quote, they'll go, if they're really ready to look, they'll go, wait a second. Ah, there's some work to be done here. Um, probably, you know, just going back to India, it's really just understanding what is the ego? How does the ego that we all have an ego, uh, how does it function? How is it taking me out and preventing me? from creating the outcomes that I want? And how do I start to notice what it's doing and overcome it? And that's what really um, little bits in our book, but this is what the core of our, our leaders training work is about is how do we, how do we really understand how we function as human beings and through that find our own path towards excellence? Yeah. And I think what you're, you're noticing, and, and I know this is with a lot of people too, and whether it's showing up is how they're showing up in a leader in the workplace or how they're showing up as a parent, there's almost this belief that if they're super, super unkind and hard on themselves, that they'll somehow make change more by being super difficult to themselves, which it's, I really feel it's quite the opposite when you come from a place of self-compassion and patience and grace, um, and recognizing, yeah, that you are here to learn, but to, to be really, really, um, hard on yourself and unkind. And, and I say, you wouldn't speak to your, to people you love the way that you're speaking to yourself. It can be a big shift. Exactly. So, um, you know, we, we're talking about even agile, and I think that word agile can mean a lot of things to different people. There are some people who are probably listening to this conversation like agile, I don't want to hear about agile, uh, can be open to a lot of different interpretations. So talk to me about when you think about business agile, what being agile in business, what does that look like? And <laughs> as you're laughing already, <laughs> um, what are the positives that come along with that? Yeah, great question. So I think probably the biggest part of work is stopping organizations from becoming agile. 
because they don't understand what it means. No, <laughs> that's a very provocative statement. So let me explain. So agile is a team and employee level approach to increasing performance. It only works to the extent that the leadership operates from an evolved mindset or consciousness that's compatible and supportive of an agile approach. 90% of organizations do not meet this requirement. So the only way they can really truly benefit from agile without causing organizational conflict and uh, limiting performance is for leaders to change how they are showing up themselves. So they are operating in an agile in air quotes way. Now, what we've realized that agile is very beautiful. It's a very powerful technology, but it's so misunderstood. It's better to talk about, well, business agility. Well, what's happening with your organization? Is it as agile and flexible in a generic term? Um, you know, are you able to keep up with the, the changing world around you? Are you able to outperform your competitors? Are you able? That's really what the conversation is about. And then we can see within that larger conversation, this agile approach is just one thread of evolution needed to create business agility. And it opens up a much broader conversation. Well, what's the leadership role in creating business agility? Mm -hmm. And what do you think some of those fears are around that business agility too? Like, I like where you went there. It's just helping explain where they might be seeing it as one thing and it's actually a different thing. But even when we're talking a little bit earlier around getting into ego, so we know that leaders are part of this. What, what else do you think is operating underneath at the roots, not surface? We know the symptoms, but at the roots that is preventing the organization to, to really operate in this way. We all have worked for or met evolved leaders, people who are humble, who are curious, who create a space around them to, that where other leaders can develop in, who consistently are not focused on their ego, their perspective, but on doing what's best for the organizational system. We have met people like that. We've heard about people like that. We've read books with people like that. Well, here's the deal. Our success creating an organization that's high performance depends on us showing up that way. And for most people listening that have some level of self-awareness, they'll realize, wait a second, I have work to do to show up being more curious every day, to be more humble every day, to do a better job creating a space for others by speaking less, et cetera, et cetera, listening more. Like anybody who's listening to this who has any remote shred of self-awareness will go, wait a second, I've got work to do. But that is the work of leadership in our view. That is what we call evolutionary leadership. It's somebody who makes the choice to evolve themselves and develop the capabilities needed to evolve with the organizational system to bring everybody else along the journey with them. And so that's the starting place. Most leaders haven't even made that choice. Yeah. Not explicitly, maybe implicitly they made the choice, but they haven't made it explicit that yes, I am the problem and I am the solution. I am the limit of the performance of my organizational system. If I want high performance, it ends and it starts with me. That's quite rare. <laughs> and it's required because every leader, we have a certain state, we're in a certain state of evolution. Depending on our state of evolution, we can create an outcome that will match that. 
the performance that I'm seeing as a leader right now around me is a reflection of my leadership. If I want a different kind of outcome, I need a different kind of leadership. I need to show up as a different kind of leader, more curious, more humble, more better able to listen, you know, creating more space for people, building more leaders around me, then I'll get high performance. So that's really the big shift is this news flash. It's like, well, hey, buddy, it's you, not somebody else. I mean, we all know this, right? We all, we all know that it's true. You can't change anyone else. Yes. You can only change yourself. We all know that, but we don't know how to put it into practice. So that's what our work is about, is about helping leaders understand, well, how do I put this into practice on a daily basis? How do I go on this, ex- on a, not a traditional, but an accelerated journey of evolution so that, you know, this year, 2022 is the most amazing year yet. Mm-hmm. 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 And I loved it. And you, you talked about a lot of this in the book, and I know you're not going to be able to get into all of it, but what, what do you do differently? Would you say in your training programs to accelerate that, right. To, to take people on that journey, because it is a journey. And I think part of it is for sure, it's the invitation. Um, but then there's going to be resistance in different ways. What have you found works really well in your way of accelerating that journey? Yeah. So, um, we're hackers. We, we do a lot of things to hack people. So basically the biggest, um, biggest really lesson is that when we focus on people's self-interest, everything flows from there. So we ask everyone who comes in to be purely selfish, to focus on what's their best interest, their outcome, their success, but then to notice they're in a classroom with other people so that everyone to get what they want, they need to help everybody else will get what they want. So it starts to hack this notion. The other, the other things we start to do is just really work at creating a safe environment, not just in lip service, but really a space where people's voices are welcome, where they can share, share their thoughts anonymously as well as, uh, you know, speak up as well as we have a very powerful technology called unlearning, mm-hmm. unlearning, which we've been doing for quite a while. I know there's a new book with that title out now. I don't, I'm not sure what's in that book, but it's a very specific technology that helps people understand um, that people, our brains are actually designed to stop us from learning. I will repeat this. Our brains are designed to stop us from actually learning. And so what we do is we get people and walk through the technology of how to unlearn, how to let go of existing beliefs, how to detect the brain when it gets stuck in this, uh, this preventing learning state, which is the default state and how to break out of it and how to become aware that it's happening. So that's kind of actually how we start our trainings is by creating this really different kind of environment. And then, and then we do things that are paradoxical. Yeah. Like let's take, for example, a very important leadership attribute called patience, Mm. patience, right? When we're patient with people around us, we're going to behave in a very positive, constructive way that will support change at a rate that works for that person or that group, right? So we, we can see clearly it's a very useful skill. But then we say, well, look, please, we're not asking anyone to be patient. We're not. We're saying we're, we're doing instead is work on what we call your leadership edges, work on the places where you're not patient. And the opposite of patience is impatient. So just look at all the places where you're impatient and clear those out. Once you clear away all the impatience, then you'll be patient. But please do not try to be patient. Don't. Instead, Look at the truth of how you suck as a leader, how you have space to grow with all the places where you're impatient. So it's actually turning um, a lot of what's talked about with high-performance leadership on its head. But instead of focusing on the light, focus on the darkness that lies within that's actually creating the havoc in our our leadership 
in our organizations, in our homes. Yeah, because you do hear a lot where it's focusing on the strengths, right? What you do well, do more of what you do well, a little bit on this area, but you do this stuff well, it's in your zone of genius, stay here. And so you're recognizing, and is this what, so a lot of the stuff that I, I hear when it's talking about when you're keynoting and things like that too, you're like, yeah, I'm a little controversial. Would this be or some of the controversial concept or is there more to when you start to think of those ways that you're a bit controversial? Oh, there's a lot of that. Um... <laughs> There's a lot. There's a there's a lot of depth to that. Um, uh, I I would say that what we're just talking about is controversial. We're saying, well, strength focusing people's strength is old school. If you're focusing people's strengths, you do not what you know really know what you're doing as a leader. I mean, it's kind of basic thing. It's useful. There's nothing wrong with that. If you can have someone who has certain strengths and you just try to pigeonhole them into a place where they they work in that place, you know that 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 can work up to a point. But if you actually want high performance. It means that it's about people working through their backhand, through their challenge areas, the ones that are sabotaging their ability to learn, sabotaging their ability to collaborate, sabotaging their relationships. And everybody has those. And if people are not working through them, they're keeping them, which means they're keeping the low performance that comes with them. So, so again, you know, our, you know, you know, working through working with strength is it will get to a certain level of performance. But if you want to get high performance, it's about working through leadership edges, working through challenges. Yeah, I, I agree. The hard completely. stuff. I agree completely. Yeah, exactly. It is the hard stuff. And, and the, the, the darkness has stuff to show as well, because a lot of times those are ingrained behaviors that have been learned many years ago to protect us and keep us safe that are no longer serving us. We just don't recognize that we're still doing it. Right. So to me, that's where a lot of the healing comes. And, um, this show is all about being vulnerable and sharing ourselves as well. So I'm curious when you think about yourself and some of those leader edges and, and those places you've had to go, what have been some of the areas where you notice, like, yeah, I, I do a lot of this and I want to do less of that that have shown up for you. You can talk about in the past, or you can even think about aspirationally what you're working on this year. Yeah, so probably a big one that was working on for many years is interrupting people, like just jumping in. And, um, you know, pattern wise, you know, it's, it's you know, really, um, it's very destructive for relationships. It's very destructive for creating space for other people to share their voice and for them to lead. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's really, really toxic leadership behavior. Um, but again, it's like an ingrained pattern that I didn't choose. I just ended up with it. Um, that'd be one. I, I think probably, I think, you know, for me, um, th there's two different ways to hack the unconscious. One way is through behavior patterns that are happening. The other one is through emotions, right? And we, and we actually have a whole book called Emotional Science that takes people on a journey to move beyond traditional understanding of emotions into how they actually work. But for me, most of my leadership work right now is mostly just in focusing on emotional disturbances to see when there's some sort of precipitating event that brings me from an open, energized, expansive, resourceful state to feeling contraction in my being, right? And so I'm really, really very aware of, um, so for example, this morning, uh, opened up my email, there's an email about somebody, uh, somebody we're working with made a decision about what they need to do for their career and, and so on. And that had some implications for our company. And it just, it went, and it's like this, like this vice grip of, of, of tension came in and it's like, okay, well, let me look at this. Right? And it's like really looking at it. And, and again, I don't need to go into the patterning of why it was there. There's some things that came up from early childhood and so on, but it, it's really about just about working through that, releasing that stuck energy in our system 
that is this template for destructive behavior patterns, destructive reactions, um, just causing harm and damage around us. So, um, so I, I think really my practice right now is really around just a high level of vigilance on my uh, internal state of, of, of functioning so that um, when there's a disturbance, I'm, I'm, I'm reacting, I'm, I'm responding to it by, mm. by working through whatever it is mm. to root cause and, and moving mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the body is so powerful. We slow down and pay attention. It's getting our attention all the time, but a often we don't pause to listen and pay attention to what's going on in there. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and, and again, there's a whole technology that uh, my, my uh, wife and partner, Audrey and I have co-created which is called the technology of consciousness, which is actually giving people the tools to rapidly shift this. Now, most people are staying stuck exactly where they are. And that's actually the only option available to them because without rapid tools of evolution, there's no possible way to work through the horrors that lie within us. Like we, we have so many emotional wounds. We have so many maladaptive behavior patterns that, and without technology to start shifting these in a rapid way, um, it's just, it's just too much effort. It's too, too painful or we, or we can't even do it. And so how do you, like, there are going to be people is, is your approach that they're going to be, I will create the training. We'll take them on this journey. Some people will go along and some people won't like, do you find that even ones who are resistant at the beginning that they slowly start to kind of take down those layers and are willing to do the work? Well, well, there's nothing really to resist. If from our approach, because we don't demand anything of anyone. We see that everyone is a sovereign being and is fully responsible for what they choose to do or not do. So there's no resistance with us. We just see some people put more investment in their journey of evolution. Some people put less or no investment, and that's fine. There's no, there's no problem. So from our view, there is no resistance. There's different choices. And those choices are perfect for those people at the, that point in time. It's going to have certain consequences for their life, but you know, it's their life. And you know, who are we to, you know, tell other people what to do. So, I um, so, so yeah, there's a very natural distribution of people who have different levels of uh, investment and focus on, on their choice to evolve because it's hard work, right? It's actually the biggest act of courage is to choose to look at the darkness that lies within us to, admit to or not even admit to anybody else but just to even to admit to ourselves that wait a second we're not really in control of this mess that's inside of ourselves there are all these emotional responses coming up throughout the day there are all these behavioral responses coming today and we're not in control of it it's like frightening right and so um that's really the the first choice and once we find people make the choice and they start to make some shifts it's a self-reinforcing loop because they make some shifts and they start to get the benefits. Right. And then they then they get hooked because they say, "Wait a second, I just made these shifts, and oh my gosh, my life has changed." Right. And even though we work in the corporate space, the biggest feedback we get from people is that, "Wow, I really appreciate how you've helped me work, but I mostly the the part where they're touched to the depth of their humanity is with how it's changed their personal lives with their with their wife or their kids, yeah. their husband." Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're whole people, right? We don't like, oh, I'm going to have better relationships here, but not over here, right? It's all relationships are going to look different and relating and connecting. And ultimately, and this is why I I love this work so much too, is they feel more peace and fulfillment and connection to themselves and others. I mean, ultimately I want, I, I long for that for everyone. What, when we start to think about going forward with organizations, if I were to give you a magic wand 
And you could go and I said, and, and it was like, okay, if I could go into organizations, these are the things I'd like to see more of. What kind of stuff shows up for you? See, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with the question. I, I understand the question. I'm just like, I, I think there's part of a, a deep part of my practice, which is just about a level of acceptance mm -hmm. that people are the way they are. Mm -hmm. organizations are the way they are. Yeah. So, um, so it's not like I want them to be different than what they choose for themselves. Um, and at the same time, like there's this yearning to help organizations. Uh, I think probably the biggest thing I'd wish for is just that is just that people had a bit more freedom right? There's so many constraints in binding things written down, not written down, informal of what people are allowed to do and not allowed to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so probably what I wish for people had more freedom to choose to follow what they think they should be doing to create the success for their part of the organizational system, not even change it for other people, but just, just they have the freedom to do what they need to do to help their part of the organization be successful. Yeah, I love that. And so from your perspective, what do you think the culture can do more of? Like, what are they to create that freedom for the individual? What is that organization doing more of aspirationally? Is that them saying that there's more autonomy and that we aren't going to have as much process or what from a cultural perspective? What well, would you like? I mean, so, yeah, I don't I don't think cultural change really makes a lot of sense for most organizational systems because they're so deeply mired mm. in traditional management, tailoristic command and control, yeah. you know, traditional MBA I mean, the whole system at a fundamental level is structured on, um, on grounds that lead to, you know, unmotivated, disengaged workers that talking about changing that environment in like some sort of without, without recognizing the whole system to its fundamental core is completely broken. Doesn't really make, I mean, a lot of, a lot of sense. I mean, and so, so our view is that, well, this is fundamentally broken. You can't change the whole system. So what can you do locally? Because like, our view is the culture is actually a local phenomenon. And there's a lot of research that bears this out is that the performance of the people that report to you depends only on one variable, you, right? So every boss, every leader creates a local cultural environment through their behavior, through their consciousness, through how they treat their people and so on. So, so our, our view is actually um, not sort of structurally and organizational based, but more individual based. Like if you're the CEO and you, you have this traditional organization, it's a mess. Don't try to change the system. Don't try to change the culture. Change yourself. Change how you treat people. Show up in a way that you're developing people who report to you so they become leaders. And that cascades down to the people that report to them. If you would do that, the whole system will change and the culture will change. But you're not trying to change culture. You're not even trying to change people. You're just working on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a radically, radically different yeah. idea than, oh, I want to change my culture. Like stop trying to change culture. Start working with leaders on helping them change how they show up if they want to. So it's more like an opt-in. Do you want to opt in to being a better leader, being a better human being, being a better parent? If you do, great. Join us. If not, it's not the right time for you. No problem. We understand it's scary to contemplate that. So keep on going with what you're doing now. No problem. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about working with leaders, because as that leader transforms, there's a beautiful ripple effect. Um, and it's, it's incredibly, 
incredibly profound to watch and to witness. Um, so as we start to wrap up today's conversation, Michael, um, what shows up for you as anything that you would like to share as a final thoughts with the audience? Yeah, I think like everything that we've been talking about here is part of what we call the shift three one four evolutionary leadership framework. And what we realize is it there, there is a structure, there is a set of very specific practices of doings of different models, different understandings that we need those absolutely. But there's also a shift in our being, which is kind of the evolutionary leadership part of, 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 you know, I mean, I remember this, I was told once a long time ago, that, oh, well, you might just be more curious. And, and you know, I realized that it's a trap. There's no way that anyone listening to this just be more curious, but by choosing to be curious or paying attention to curiosity, or, it doesn't work like that because that's a reflection of so much deep uh, conditioning, um, behavioral patterns, uh, emotional charges, and, and so on that need to get cleared out of the way, which requires actually investing and shifting our consciousness so that we're clearing away all the all the darkness that let, let, that's inside of ourselves so we can shine more brightly. And out of shining more brightly, then curiosity will emerge. Then humbleness will emerge. Then really caring about people in a deep way will emerge. But trying to just go after these things individually doesn't, doesn't really work. We need a more holistic approach. And so that's what we're really excited. We were never planning to create a framework, but it just, it just kind of happened uh, on its own. It decided to birth itself. Yeah. Um, but that's what we're really proud of uh, bringing to this world. Yeah, it's incredible work. Uh, Michael, where can people learn more about you and this important work that you're doing? Yeah, so the best place is our website, Shift314. The 314 is, of course, an homage to the famous number pi. Um, and, uh, or, uh, or you can find our book, Leading Beyond Change, on any of your favorite booksellers, uh, either as a, a print book, digital book, or audiobook. Perfect. And we will have all of that in the show notes as well. Um, Michael, thank you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the questions. And to everybody, wherever you are in the world right now, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We're sending lots of love. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.